Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Mike Boris and this is Straight Talk. Hey, Eliza. You are the most Australian looking man. <laughs> Please welcome Eliza Schlesinger. Eliza Schlesinger is a crowd sellout comic. Every molecule of your DNA, we go through it like scanning for physical abnormalities. <laughs> the Dallas Rays comic has a humor that is sharp. How good has Netflix been for comedians? You don't need to be on The Tonight Show. You don't need to have had a special on Comedy Central. The weirdest moment, going to Malaysia, and you're just sitting in front of a group of people who look nothing like you, and they all knew my dog's name. And you have stinky fish mouth. I kiss you. You can't bruise her ego. Again, guys get sexually rejected as it's part of being a guy. Like, you want it? Nope. Okay. Anyone else? Hey. One over here. Dick over here. Penis over there. One, two, two, two. Over here, over here. Hey, Eliza. You are... The most Australian-looking man. <laughs> like, you are. They're like, is it going to be an Australian podcast? I'm like, that is what I want to see, is, like, a rugged, tan, handsome, like, blonde hair. Like, you are Australia. Okay, let's make, let's turn this around. You can do the podcast. Come on, just start interviewing me. I, I'm, I'm looking, I'm enjoying Why already. Why do I feel like you're secretly not Australian and I, and I got it wrong? My dad's Greek and my mother's Irish. But but I'm born here. I'm a first, I'm first-generation Aussie, so I'm pretty Aussie. Yeah, you look great. What I'm loving about talking to you, I love a comedian. I love a comedian. Two things in my oh, life man. that are my favorite things, magicians and comedians. Um, I don't know. Oh, no, you I- have terrible taste. Oh, no. <laughs> That's awful. Don't tell that. To- it ruins the good looks. I feel like all like magicians. <laughs> I love magicians and I love, and I, and I particularly love American magicians and I love American comedians. I mean, I, I've been feasting on Bill Burr, you know, like I'm, I just can't find any, enough of him, you know, like, uh, like he's, he, and I love the whole process of uh, listening to dudes who, you know, like take my brain out of the shit that I have to put up with day to day and allow me to uh, just laugh at what their what their position is. And and I, I mean, I'm seeing you coming to Australia, right? So how hard is it for a comedian to come to Australia today to make sure you got the crowds and you know you got the relevance and you know everything's going to be success? How I man? How hard is that decision making? Uh, I think this is my third time playing Australia. It's pretty easy. Um, you just have to endure a 16-hour Qantas flight uh, and get, like, the right type of sleep aid. I mean, because of Netflix, you know, I'm open. I, I get to play audiences I never thought I would. Like, I just came back from Iceland. I've played, you know, places everywhere from Malaysia to Tokyo to Hungary to Portugal. And so... Australia to me, it's not like it's coming home, but like I have established a nice fan base there. I've got friends there. And so I think Australians have an excellent sense of humor. 
Uh, and I think when you come out to see a show, you're coming to see a Netflix comedian, you're coming to see that comedian, you're coming to see that American take. And Australians get it. I mean, they have wicked sense of humor. Some of my favorite uh, comedy acts are from Australia. And uh, so it's kind of like, especially in Sydney, it's kind of like playing L.A., but perhaps just like a little nicer. <laughs> well, but the weather's pretty pretty good here at the moment. This year, 2023, we had a big lineup of lots of people coming to sort of like Jocko Willink, a whole lot of people coming here. Like, uh, And then all of a sudden we started to get a lot of cancellations. I mean, there. Are, it depends on the reason you're canceling. I mean, people acts cancel for all types of reasons obviously covid was a huge reason i actually was in australia like the week before covid hit wow um sometimes this is like no one's gonna like i'm saying this but like if your tickets don't sell you're like oh sorry we just scheduling issue and the issue is not enough of you scheduled to come see me <laughs> because it has to fiscally make sense but um i try to be as upfront and honest with my fans if i do have to move something and i always give refunds but I can tell you that for Australia, I mean, this has been something, uh, a visit I've been looking forward to for quite some time because I haven't been there since pre-pandemic. So we're very due for a visit. How good has Netflix been for comedians? It's great. I think Netflix has been the best the best thing to happen to your touring business if you are benefiting from it uh, ever. I mean, it completely changed the game. You know, you can, you don't need to be on The Tonight Show. You don't need to have had a special on Comedy Central, like Netflix came in, they were like, this is the home for comedy. And they have the biggest audience. You know, there's so many great places to do comedy, but there's no denying the reach of Netflix. And, you know, the weirdest moment in my, one of my weird, I mean, it's all weird, but was going to Malaysia and you're just sitting in front of a group of people who look nothing like you. And they all knew my dog's name. They were all <laughs> excited. Like they know you. And I think it's, the cool, I mean, stand up already brings people together in such a cool way, but just to have this global reach to find people who think like you across the world is an incredible feeling. I mean, for me, looking at comedy, if I, I've learned a lot more about comedians, particularly international comedians like yourself, over the past during the COVID period because of something like Netflix than I would have ever learned before. And I also now learn there's a different style of comedy. Looks like to me, there's a different style of comedy out there to what I was used to seeing. And I mean, I used to see Australian comedians mostly, and they'd be at functions yeah. and stuff like that. Has comedy changed over the, you know, as a result of COVID? I mean, is there a, a and you know, a result of um, you know, political correctness and all those other things that have evolved out of during that same period? Comedy always has changed, always will change, is ever changing, and I think because of the ubiquity of the internet, because of social media, because your audience is not relegated to a dark room in a club now it's online it's in a comment section uh the people watching aren't necessarily your fans so it used to be to go to see a comic you had to make a great effort to yeah. do that and now it's just whatever wafts into your algorithm so it's changed in terms of accessibility there's certainly a lot more people doing it and the public outrage it was people always got offended but now it's amplified but I do think after the masses settle and put down their pitchforks, and I think after the pendulum swings sort of back to the middle, the cream always rises to the top. You'll always have comics who are saying horrible things to get a laugh. And the truth is, at the end of the day, there are things that are funny and there are things that aren't. And it's subjective. But if enough people find it funny, you're going to sell tickets. And I have my preference about what I think is funny or what's not funny. But because it's art, we have to allow for it. Yeah, because comedians seem to me to be able to talk about things that no one else could talk about. <laughs> if we talk about it, we get so-called cancelled. 
mean, how yeah. edgy do you like to take it? You know, and, you know, where, where and where, where's off limits? You might not be able to tell me specifically what's off limits, but how do you determine those sorts of things? Do you have a team or is it just you? No, it's just me. Nobody tells me what I can or can't say. I mean, if you hire me for a corporate gig and you ask me, and it's for Coca-Cola and you ask me not to say I love Pepsi, I still <laughs> might say I love Pepsi. Um, it's like catnip to a comic. But, you know, it's, I, for, for me, I always look at intention and I always look at, is this really in my heart? I don't, it's okay if you want a cheap laugh. Some people make a good living off of that. I tend to say things that I I would I would wholeheartedly argue that I feel in my heart that I don't get anxious about posting like, oh, I hope this isn't controversial. So I say things that come from a good place. And what we have to allow for in our society is. And by the way, like you could say awful things and if you mean them, OK, at least you're going to stand by them. But we have to allow for people to have made a mistake, to make a mistake and to be like, oh, I said that and I didn't mean it. Like I had a joke about like killing polar bears forever ago. I really want polar bears to live. This was more commentary on the type of commercial that the polar bear was in, but I'm sure people would take umbrage with that today. So people don't understand context and they don't understand time. And so they'll take your clip from 20 years ago when something was not as frowned upon and they'll say, how could you do that? Forgetting that people have changed, time has changed. Yeah, it's hard to judge. It's impossible to judge by today's standards, what was someone else's standard 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Do you think comedians, and particularly yourself, are you really making comedy out of topics that should be discussed and perhaps debated? I think I'd be an asshole if I was just like, I am your educator. But I think the thing is you go for it. You make the art you want to make. You say the things that you feel are important, that keep you up at night, that you find fascinating. And a good comic will say thought-provoking things in an intelligent way that's funny, that makes you think, that questions things. You can turn it on its ear. I mean, George Carlin called stand-up comics like modern-day philosophers. Comedy at its best is that. Comedy at its best can also be a dick joke and a pratfall. It really just depends. Um, But I think a really good comic is able to question things, question status quo, and include without making people feel attacked. Because I think the second your audience feels it's okay to say something about someone in the crowd. And then they're like, Ooh, that's me. But then maybe you make fun of yourself and you, you level the playing field. Nobody pays to feel like a piece of shit. Well, maybe some guys do. Cause like that's their kink, but like nobody pays to go to a comedy show and be shit on. That's not fun. Especially if the comic isn't shitting on themselves or everyone else. So it's a fine line. Yeah. Like sitting in the front row and someone says, um, is that your partner? Like, I mean, I've and I've seen this happen in some of the comedy comedy, comedy shows, and that would I'd be shitting myself. I mean, I'd be terrified if if, if I was I wouldn't want to sit in front row because if, in case someone's going to start picking on me or pulling me out of the crowd, how do well, you? Well, then you shouldn't sit in the front row. I won't be <laughs> like that. No way. Okay. <laughs> no way. No way. Yeah. So, but how, how does? How, I mean, I've always been intrigued how a comedian actually writes material or builds material or builds your content up. I mean, what do you sit down on a, a piece of paper and? jot down some ideas or do you take out what worked in the past or do you use some data? Do you look at data points and say, well, this worked, this didn't work? How do you actually build your show? And particularly for, say, coming here to Australia? Well, every comic does it differently. I am a, I don't write like physically. I don't sit there and like keep a word doc. I have like a list of keywords, kind of like a court reporter. 
and I get up every night and I do 15 minute sets here, 20 minute set there. And I just sort of talk it out. And then you begin to sort of mold it, craft it into the scaffolding that becomes your act. Um, and so what you'll be getting, you know, I, my sixth Netflix special, uh, hot forever came out in October. And so it hasn't been that long since then. So if you watch the special and you see me live, you're going to get two different shows. There might be some overlap, but you'll be seeing some of the jokes I've been working on since. Um, we always have a couple of local references, but you don't want to treat your audience, A, like they're stupid, or B, especially in Australia's case, like, you're not that foreign. Like, we're all speaking yeah. English. We all kind of watch a lot of the same shows. Like, you know what's up, especially coming from America. Like, our number one export is entertainment. So, and we also... Like, I know if I say feet, not meters, the audience isn't going to be like, huh? doesn't go the other way. If you came here and you were like three meters, we'd be like, what? So there is this, uh, you're allowed a little bit more in America to like rep for your pop culture and people are on board because we all kind of share American pop culture. So I'm there to do my act, bring up things, say the thing that you didn't know you felt or hadn't been questioning and just really give you like a hard hitting hour of nonstop stand up. And you look like you're a young woman. You're a young Thank woman. You. Um, Finally, someone admitted it. <laughs> when did you, my producer laughing head off at me at the moment, but how did you know you're going to be a comedian? I don't know. Like, do you always a funny kid or there was someone you looked up to? Yeah. Or yeah. I think when it was clear, I wasn't going to be a professional athlete. They were like, I just, you know, I get that question a lot. And it's kind of like, everybody's got that thing that they're good at. That, you know, whether it's you're really good looking or you're really good at sports, or you're good at math or a musician. And I was just always funny. And I just always, that was my currency. I always made people laugh. And that's how I attracted friends and the guys that knew what was good for them. And I just knew I was going to be funny for a living uh, without really knowing anything about stand up. So the stand up career that I've crafted has been largely out of my own imagination, less from mentorship or like watching stand ups. I kind of just did it. So can we talk about your book, All Things Aside? Sure. Do you really want to? You? Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, it was my second book. My first book was called Girl Logic, and that came out, I think, 2018. And that was sort of thesis-based, and I was trying to explain the humor, why women do the things we do, because we're always called crazy. But there's a way that we think that does drive us nuts, but it's actually an adaptive like way of surviving in this world. And then I didn't want to keep writing about that. I didn't want to keep explaining girls, but I didn't want to write an autobiography. So I just decided, like a lot of funny people, sorry, it's my alarm. I hope you don't hear that. Um, will you hit, go to that alarm and hit, just hit a button on it. I don't know how that works. Sorry, the alarms in my house are broken and I really don't want to fix them. I'll let my husband do it. Hopefully it's not someone breaking in. No. I mean, honestly, like come and take like my socks and my like, protein shaker of water. Um, I wanted to write a book of personal essays. I wanted to tackle things that you can have a little bit more grace with, uh, in standup, you know, you need punchlines per minute. you got to go, go, go. And in writing, which I do enjoy, enjoy doing, you could be a little more elegant. You can be serious. You can be heartfelt and you can really just dive, delve into some things. I delved in, you can dive into some more emotional, more serious things. Um, you can be a little bit more artistic, I think without worrying about getting laughs from an audience. What was the response to your book, David? So in other words, you know, have you learned something from that response? I think people, I think it's a beach read. I don't think this is 
you know, a serious, there's, it's not, you know, a story about, it's not like mind comp or anything. And so I, I think the response I get to that is just sort of reinforcing a response that I get a lot in my standup, which is, oh my God, I had that experience. I feel that I completely agree with this, you know, but the response is less important. I think in an artistic process, what's important is that I got it out. And I think that's for stand up for for anything that you create. What's important for the artist is to get it out, to put pen to paper, to say it, to speak it, to sing it. And then how the audience interprets it weirdly isn't my business. Like when you have a song that you love so much and you're like, oh my gosh, these lyrics meant everything to me. I tattooed them on my throat. And then you find out that that guy like wrote it drunk about a pet. And you're like, oh no, it doesn't take away from the fact that it meant something to you, but how I intend it and how you receive it are two totally things, totally separate things. As growing up as a kid, who was your favorite comedian and why? It's not even so much someone as like, I love sketch and I grew up in like the nineties. So the women of SNL at that time, Chris Farley, Adam Sandler, I loved, even though it was, it's a bit anachronistic, but I loved like Monty Python. I loved absolutely fabulous. Um, the kids in the hall, the state. So it was funny characters and people because when you grow up without like an older brother and I had a single mom, you don't really have someone curating your comedic itinerary. You're just sort of whatever's on ABC at 10 at night. You know, it's Martin or a living color on Comedy Central. So I would just watch whatever I could. And then that's what forms it. Um, what does your mom think of you being a comedian and the type of comedian you are? But does she ever say, Liza, what did you, I can't believe you said that. Or uh, do you ever sort of get a clip from your mom? Because I, I still get it from, well, my mum only passed away a couple of years ago. She used to clip me for things I said in the media and my dad still does. In fact, my dad hates the fact that I don't shave. You know, just, this is a new thing. Uh, it's a COVID thing. So, but I've just carried through COVID. I don't shave. And my dad clips me every time I see him. He said, when are you going to shave the stupid beard off? My mom says the same thing to me. You got a beard? <laughs> um, no, I mean, I'm 40. So I think the, I think like, it's like, this is the act. This is what we're doing. I think they're very proud of it. I think it's, I think when you are the parent of an artist, I think it's, I think because I've been successful at it, it's kind of like, all right, like we have to like, let her have her process. Um, but I actually don't mind the check-in, you know, sometimes I'll do something or I'll say something and my mom will be like, that wasn't you. That wasn't nice. And I'll be like, you know what? You're right. But in terms of the wording, I also think generationally, it's just we're kind of not on the same page, not in a bad way, just the things that my generation gets upset about or PC stuff that I so wholly understand because I'm in the thick of it. You know, sometimes I have to have a conversation with my mom about it, but my parents have always been super open and very proud. Um, I think they think it's very cool. Well, I actually yeah. think in some respects, um, your generation Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's tougher. I think your generation is more judgmental than say your mom or my, I might even be, even be further than your mom's generation. No, I'll be your mom's generation. So yeah, I mean, I think we got to have a, we have a broader spectrum of what's okay because I think in your generation and below you, um, very judgmental, like everybody's this whole culture, can, uh, cancel culture and, yeah. you know, what's politically correct. We didn't really give a shit about that. Like no one ever thought about that, particularly here in Australia anyway, me growing up and, and me as an Definitely adult. Definitely not Australia. I love Australia. You guys are 10 years behind feminism. And a very funny story to illustrate that is, um, and the women are strong and everybody's great. We One of our best friends is Australian. And my husband went to Australia. He opened, he was doing some work there and he gets there. And the woman coming to pick him up, our friend's like, oh, when she picks you up, her name's Sweet Tits, Sweet Tits. And you can just tip her, she'll take you anywhere you want to go. He's like, oh, I'm not going to call her Sweet Tits. That's not really. And the woman picks him up. She goes, how you going? I'm um, Sweet Tits. Where you want to go? <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I will push back on that. I don't disagree. I do think, I'm not Gen Z, but Gen Z is very sensitive. I think millennials are very sensitive. However, if you are the one who has been marginalized, if you are anything other than like straight and white, you have fully felt how shitty it feels to be cast out. Um, and so I think for people to finally have the chance and the platform to say like, hey, we don't love being called that or hey, that's actually really hurtful. I think it's not a bad thing for people to hear that. I think that movement and all of its intention is great. And then we get to a place where people are overly sensitive and that's where you get the pushback. But like I said at the beginning, I think the overcorrect is always necessary in order to come back to to your middle. You know, there's no version where I think all men are pigs. I think that making statements like that is damaging and ignorant. But I do think there are enough men out there who do take advantage of women in a workplace or not listening, that if you can drain that swamp and get it back to a place where now at least women can say something without being burned at the stake. I think that's a good thing. But none of it has any place in stand-up as long as you're making people laugh. And if you don't like it, you can just not buy a ticket. Yeah, well, yeah, you know? I, I, I was watching a like a, a whole heap of different stand-up comedians or something, some aggregation platform that they, they had a whole little, lot of different excerpts of various comedians talking. And uh, one of the things I noticed was, and I used to always think it's a bit weird, a lot of comedians bag their partner, husband, wife, or they talk about yeah. their kids um, or their mother. They they, they sort of yeah. put shit on their parents, whatever. I have a one-year-old daughter. Um, yeah. I do not share pictures of her face. I don't have her in my act. I believe you teach people how to treat you and you give people permission to comment on your life when you share certain things. And I think it's, you know, it's the oldest punchline in stand-up and comedy, you know, take my wife, please. So it was always de rigueur to make fun of your wife, right? You were the poor put upon husband, your wife's a nag. And then for women, it was like, my husband's such an idiot. That is the honeymooners uh, sitcom model, right? Um, I 
really respect my husband and I don't, that's not in my heart. I don't think he's an idiot or an oaf or anything. So it's just not organic to who I am. Um, and I don't really talk about my family. It just happens to not be my point of view. You know, you might grow up with a big, big Greek family. So you're making fun of your family and that's so personal and so right for you. I just don't because I also don't want someone to ever come up to me and like say something shitty about my husband and it's okay because I said that. Same thing with my daughter, you know, so you have to be careful when you are public figure sharing stuff. Just remember, like not everybody deserves to be like totally let in. You have to keep some things for yourself, or at least I choose to. What you're sort of saying to me is that uh, a comedian who does whatever you talk about, you're effectively giving your audience and all those people watch it permission to say something back to you or think something about you. And it's about where you give permission and, and or where you take permission away. Yeah. And I think when you're a woman, you know, there's a, we are a little bit more delicate. It doesn't mean you can't be body and brash and bold and all the other words that journalists love to use to describe women in comedy. But you have to be careful because again, you put something out there, like I was saying before, you cannot control the way people receive it or how they interpret it. And so you might say your husband's an idiot and you're saying it from love and he's just a big teddy bear. But then somebody like will write to you online or they'll be like, yeah, and her big Eliza Schlesinger and her big dumb husband will be at this event. And then you're like, oh, like, how can you say that? And you're like, oh, no, like, I only talk about him being dumb. Of course, they're going to think that if you call your wife an idiot all the time, like people are going to think it's OK. And I think that goes down to the way you speak about your group, you know, whatever you are, you're black, you're Jewish, you're Mexican, you're whatever. If you make jokes about your people, you have to be careful the type of joke you're making because then other people will think it's okay. You know? Um, so it's just, these are things when you are crafting jokes to think about how am I coming across? What is the actual message? What is it that I want to say? Because don't ever think that the audience is just like you, you know, and has the same experiences as you. It's funny because, um, we have, a we have a, a comedian here in Australia a number of communities here in Australia who who have a crack at the Greek community. And the Greek community, my community, we all love these guys and girls. And uh, But they're always putting – they're basically having a crack at uh, – it's a bit like that My Big Fat Greek Wedding style. Yeah. For some reason or other, the Greeks are fascinated by it as a community in Australia. We're fascinated. We love it. We actually love people putting shit on our community about how silly we are and, you know uh, – yeah, know. we just love it, and and those those particular comedians do very very well in Australia because we have the biggest Greek population outside of Athens yeah, in the you world. Do. And uh, yeah. but I, and I often wonder. Oh, I like it too. I think it's really funny. And uh, but I don't know why I think it's funny. I mean, I just don't know why. Why I like laughing at myself? I mean, that's the oldest question. Like, why is something funny? And I think we talk about intention. Like, is that person Greek? And if they're not, when they make fun, are they also making fun of some other groups? Are these surface observations that don't point to something else? Like, it's one thing to be like, yeah, and you guys just break plates like you own stock and Pottery Barn. Or are they like saying like you break plates because you're so stupid, you can't hold on to them. Like, yeah. I don't know what the joke is. And I think it's always about intention and what you're really saying and what's your greater point. Um and so, I mean, these are just the mechanics that go into it and it can be the reason a joke flops or doesn't flop. And it's all about who's your audience, knowing your audience, how far can you push it?
there was a movie released recently on, um, I think it was Paramount Plus or Netflix, one of those, doesn't really matter. Anyway, the guy's name's Nick Giannopoulos and he's an Australian comedian and it's called Wog Boys Forever or something like that. And it's a part of, it's Wog Boys Forever. And it's a part of a series of movies he's put out over the last 20 years. And Nick came on the show and uh, Nick told me he's a very serious dude. He's not even funny in real life like, like you and I. You're naturally sort of funny to me. He's not like that. He's really serious. And his whole thing is about a social comment on how Greeks, Italians, lots of other people were called wogs in Australia and how, you know, we, we cop the rough end of the stick, so to speak, in his mind. And I, I thought, wow, that's pretty heavy. Like I didn't realise you were so serious about this sort of stuff. So social comment from a comedian, is that a big part of what you think about? Social comment, things that have affected your life? badly things that have not so much there are things that affect my life but then there are things that i can speak to because i can represent them like i may not have a boss who says pejorative things to me because i'm self-employed but that doesn't mean i can't under i can't stand up and make something say something funny about that situation for a woman like there are things that you feel in your bones as a woman that you can speak to i can't get up there I can say, like, I can be very uh, pro-LGBTQ community. I can't stand there as a gay person because I'm not and speak to that specific thing. So when you are a comic, there are things you can stand up for and there are jokes that you'll never quite be able to tell because they're just not your perspective and you just don't have it in you. Um, You can't, you can only, I always say, like, the good thing about trauma is that it's yours to draw on. Like, you have cancer, you, somebody was racist to you. Like, the good news is, you can make fun of that forever in a way that someone hasn't gone through it can't. Um, and every country handles these things differently. And I bet for your Greek thing, I wonder if it would bother you a little bit more if like your skin wasn't so light and if your life had been just like a little bit different. I'm not here to like be a pillar of all things anti-racist, but I do think it's easy when you are like a white person to be like, this is okay. It doesn't hurt because at the end of the day, you don't, you just look like a white person. And I'm super mindful of these things the longer I go in this career and where my perspective comes from, not vilifying one gender or color over the other, but just always trying to look at things intelligently and make jokes that are always true to me. Do you look for authority though from your audiences? And I know when I say your audience, not just the people in the room on the night that you're doing a live show, for example, but your audiences generally stuff stuff off Instagram, off various social mediums. Do you look for where they're going to give you authority to make a joke about? I don't seek the validation because if I'm saying something, I look, you're going to make mistakes, but we're talking now the last several years, these last few specials, especially uh, if I'm saying something, I, I, I believe it. And it doesn't matter if you disagree because I said what I said. Um, and, you know, that's part of being an artist is being OK and being proud of what you created Whatever the joke is, a dick joke, a fat joke, a feminism joke, commentary, a joke about your mom, and putting it out there and having the balls to stand by it. You can always walk something back and be like, hey, at the time, I thought this was okay. It's not. And that should be allowed. But people will seek to tear you down just because you make a joke about pumpkins, you know? And so that feedback is constant. So you have to just decide, like, look, this is not a two-way street. I have put something out there. It is felt in my heart. It's funny. I've tested this. 
it's out there and I'm not interested in your feedback. I want you to laugh, but like, if you want to send me a comment, you want to send me a DM about how this offended you. That's not how this goes. This is not a call and response. This is, I say something and you pay for the ticket and you laugh, you know, at its core, that's what art is. It's not a back and forth. So you're not looking for, you're not looking for authority or, or consent, but, but when they do come at you, like, let's say, let's say there's a, you know, a hundred comments about something you might've said, um, and let's say it's DMs or whatever it is, however you got, they come to you, do you sit back and say, mm, maybe I'm going to have to take that out next time? Or do you say, fuck it. Um, I think that's cool. And I did it respectfully and blah, blah, blah. And I believe in it. I'm, I'm going to keep it in my, in my content. I mean, I'll just get really specific about it. Like there is no next time because if you're seeing it on Netflix, I'm not repeating the joke again. Like it's never going to be in another special. Um, You get your feedback in real time from the audience, you know? So like, let's say I make a joke about Greek people and all of my audiences laugh at it over the course of like four years. Okay. It's road tested. 100% of people liked it. The Greek people liked it. And then 10 years later, new people are like, hey, that Greek joke isn't funny. You might revisit it with fresh eyes and be like, yeah, now that I know a little bit more, like I see, but people forget that that joke was upheld. It was not created in a vacuum. It was endorsed by thousands and thousands of people. And so that just kind of goes back to context and letting things, if somebody said something and it bothered you, coming back all these years later to be like, look at that. As if that person like went back in time and made the joke knowing what they know now. It's just silly. You said earlier on you don't work for someone, so you know it's you're not in a sort of a, an office environment or a you know retail shop or whatever it is. But you yeah. work for yourself. But you're in the business of what? I'm so sorry. Can, uh, will you grab her? My dog. My dog saw something outside, and now the world has to end. What I get from stand up, and I think what you, I don't know what I was looking to do when I started. And the way your act is received and the things that you write over time, you know, it changes the objective. I think all comics want is to feel seen and to feel heard and to fill in the gaps in an understanding, you know, Um, and to poke holes in arguments and to say the other side of stuff and subvert expectations. I like I like making points that make women feel not so alone. And I like when men see my act because I never shit on men. I like it when men see it and they're like, hey, that's something I didn't know. And you didn't make me feel bad about it. I like this inclusive, hard hitting, fun education. That's great for both. I really like being like a broad comic that at the end of the day, it's just a really good time. I'm not there to give like a political speech. (laughs) And uh, you said you had a one-year-old baby, one-year-old child. I do. A daughter or son? I still do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank God. A daughter or son? Yeah, she's okay. Yeah, a, a little girl. A little girl. Um, do you, does she travel with you when you travel? She doesn't. I think at this age, your schedule, her like a little schedule is important. And so she, look, she goes to bed at 6.30. So if she traveled with me, it's not like she, she or I would be getting a lot out of that exchange uh, yeah. when I'm working. So she has come to one or two things when I've been somewhere for a while, but Australia would be very difficult on her little body. Um, when she's older, she can come. Because I'm trying to work out how tough it is for a, a mum, a new mum, yeah. um, not only being away from her husband or, and or partner, but also being away from a, a young child. I mean, how tough is that? It's hard to you? be away from my husband and my partner because I have sex with both of them. 
No. Because he's one of the same. <laughs> no, it's different. Two dudes. No. Um, it is. I'm finding out how difficult it is. We just took a vacation to Iceland. And I am going to be honest. I did a show at the end of it, but I did not. It was beautiful. The country was awesome. It was really hard to enjoy myself because I chemically, like you just missed my child so much. Um, and it will be difficult. And it is difficult. I think it's easier. You know, I'm going to announce my fall tour coming up. And you could do like three days out, come home. But it is hard when you get into like a week, two weeks. It is, you, I, I'm starting to fully understand how women quit their jobs or why women have to give up dreams because apart from childcare, like emotionally, it is so difficult. And it's so funny because moms get so tired and I do have full-time help and I have a husband and it's still tiring. Women don't want to break from their children when they're away from them. I want to break from her while I'm holding her. Like if I, someone could just take <laughs> my daughter every 15 minutes and hold her, that would be great. But it's hard when you're away from them. It's like your heart's missing. You're, we're lucky you're going to come to Australia. You're going to be in Sydney, Melbourne. You're then you're going to, going off to Auckland. Um, yeah. And, it's, and we're talking about it at the beginning of February, and it's a great way to start 2023 from my point of view. That's going to see something that's really, really funny. So – Eliza Schlesinger, got that out. See, so uh, by the way, you should, when I say your surname, I'm I'm reminded yeah. that I've got to go back to see the, my uh, neurosurgeon who's looking, looking at yeah. my, my neurosurgeon. You're like, I've got to go see someone else Jewish in my life to do something yeah. medical. That's what you I, think. <laughs> spend some money, but Eliza, thanks very yeah. much. I really appreciate your time, and 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 I can't I can't wait to see you in February. Thank you, Mark. I will see you and your muscles not in my front row, but in my audience. <laughs> I won't be in the front row. Don't worry about that. Bye. Thank you so much. You guys have a great day. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Talk with Mark Boris. Audio production by Jessica Smalley. Production assistants, Jonathan Leondis and Simon McDermott. This is a Mentored Podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.